those of you who have not been here, it's the first time to be here since I started the series. I'm doing a series called Wonderful, and I'm talking about heaven and even some future things to come. And uh, I want you to get in your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. And I'm going to talk some more about heaven, uh, but I'm going to talk more about permanent heaven. you got to understand there are two, present and permanent. And we'll talk more about that. I'm going to talk about all kinds of stuff today. Oh, I'm going to talk about all kinds of stuff today. I, I think I might even, I was telling the elders today, I think I'm going to talk about is there sex in heaven? I think I'll go for it. Because that's just the kind of pastor I am. Now, some of you are still asleep, but this bunch over here, they're wide awake right now. That bunch over there, they're just, they're, just, they're ready to go. They won't know if is sex going to be heaven, pastor? I'm going to cover it today. So now I know for sure that the online campus is really, people are texting, but you got to get online now. You got to go, he's going to talk about sex in heaven. Go ahead, text them. Tell them, tell them didn't make it today. You better get on there. He's going. <laughs> My wife wants me to go on this side of the auditorium. <laughs> I'll preach to this bunch over here. How about that? I will tell you this. I'm going to tell you something. Believers, the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more excited and joyful and hopeful Jesus follows ought to be. And I get concerned whenever myself or any of us starts allowing things in this world. We don't disconnect for them. We don't trivialize them. And we don't stick our hands in the sand and act like we ignore them and not have any place to participate in God doing things better. But when I see believers get so angry and depressed and anxious and fearful and combative and bare Christian on all that, I'm going to tell you what it's directly related to. You have not been paying attention to where you're going. Because I'm going to tell you, work gets a whole lot easier if New Year's going to go sit on a beach for two weeks and just relax. I'm going to tell you, if you knew what heaven was, you wouldn't let the hell that's going on in your life dominate you like it does. Take my word for it. I got a lot of stuff that could dominate me and this lady. But you keep your eyes on heaven. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't disconnect you from sorrow. It doesn't disconnect you from suffering. But it sure overrides the suffering and sorrow because you know there's something prepared for his people. Amen. Now, if you was Baptist, I'd let you get by and do nothing. But come on, heaven's your home. You ought to get excited about heaven. Amen. All right. I don't know, maybe Baptists get a little happy too. I don't know, maybe they do. See, all you Baptists get happy with me, amen. John, on the Isle of Patmos, exiled there, Jesus came, the Spirit of God revealed to him and showed him things to come, and one of those things was heaven and permanent heaven. And Revelation 21, look what, look what he says here, what he saw. He saw it. It was physical. It was real. It was very real. We talked about that last week. You, some of you got questions. You need to listen to last week's message, and I'll fill in some of the other blanks for you. I can't get all this in because how many know you cannot get this done in a series that would last 10 years? It's so spectacular. 
But look what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Something's gone. Something's changed. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city. Everybody say holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a shout, a loud shout from the throne. So can I just tell you, I know there'll be times of silence in heaven, but there's going to be a whole lot of shouting and getting excited. So that tells you there is a lot of emotion there too. Y'all really just think more about heaven, okay? You'll be more earthly good, if you will. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. God is restoring back to what he originally intended. He just wants to be with you. Don't make this just about everybody else. He just wants to be with you. And if you're in depression because of rejection, just remember, he just wants you. Oh, how many thank God the Lord is good. Amen. Last week we talked, that's the, that's, that's, the, that's the permanent heaven that he's talking about. But the present heaven we talked about last week, and just to recap a little bit, remember the apostle Paul went to heaven. You remember that? He went to heaven in 2 Corinthians. He said, I was caught up to paradise, which is the present heaven. I was caught up there, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. Now, you think about this just for a moment. Now, some scholars believe that this event that occurred to him happened when the events of Acts 14, 19. Do you remember when they stoned the apostle Paul? They literally... They stoned him and they took him and dragged him to the edge of the city because they thought he was dead. How many remember that? They tried to kill him. And in that event, while he's going through that, many scholars believe that's when God took him and showed him all these things that he said, I'm telling you, it was 14 years ago and I'm even holding back what's happened up there. It is amazing. Now, he was so transformed by what he saw. It was real. It was real as real as you right here before me. It is that real that he said, let me tell you the way I live my life now. He says, for me to live, he says, for me, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. This guy is not afraid of death. He says, if you take me out, he says, if you take me out, you'd be doing me a favor. He says, I don't know whether I'd rather be, I'd rather be with him than I am with you. This guy wants his life to end early. Why? Because he saw something that he said was so astounding and so amazing. He says, I'm telling you, it just I want to be with him. Do you get this, folks? Don't make this about all the stuff people talk about heaven because it is wonderful and even the Bible talks about it and some people have near-death experiences. Be careful with near-death experiences. If they do not intersect with the word of God, stay away from it. Stay away from it. If it doesn't intersect with the word of God, there's things that God might be able to do, but you've got to know that scripture has the authority over experience. Just remember that. But friends, I'm telling you something. He's saying there's something better up there. Now think about that, folks. Even those of those that have gone before us, Mary Klosterman, 
I mean, she is experiencing something so supernatural, 100 years on earth, but there is nothing that in that 100 years that is as exciting and as wonderful, everything pales and is boring to what she compared to what she's experiencing now. That new heaven, that new earth. And John described it. Paul saw it, and then John saw the permanent. He said, there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. He said, I see it. I see it. And John described it, and he saw those events. And also, John, he didn't only see heaven, the permanent heaven, but he saw events to come. So let me tell you, the next two weeks, next Sunday and the next two Sundays, we're going to be covering the book of Revelation because you're going to know the sequence of when the new heaven and the new earth comes because understanding some of the sequences, and I know there's many different varying ways of interpreting it, but the best we can, we're going to talk to you about the events that are leading through Revelation that John saw that we can see when these things start to happen and when they arrive. I tell you what, when I see stuff happen on this earth, I pray for them, I ask God's intervention, I get involved myself to help, but I'm gonna tell you something, friends, how many you believe? God's time clock is perfect, it's right, and we're going to something far better than this planet earth, I promise you. So there's a new heaven, there's a new earth coming, it comes after the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennial reign, we'll talk all about that in the next two Sundays. So you can have kind of a, kind of see where, where are things headed? What, what, what's God showing? What's God doing? What did he show John? We're going to talk a little bit about that in the next two Sundays. That'll be really exciting. How many looking forward to being there? Well, if Jesus comes, we won't be here. But anyway, if he doesn't come, I'll see you next Sunday. Amen. So let's talk about the new heaven and the new earth. What is going to be? Let, let me ask you, some people ask this. I'm just going to answer some questions. Will God redeem the heavens and the earth? What will God do? Now, let me just say this on the outset. You need to understand that God has never given up on his original creation. Let me explain that. Creation, the physical created universe, displays God's glory. He had fully intended that from the very original, long, long before, long before sin came, he originally planned my glory would come. I would walk in fellowship. I would tabernacle. I would walk and talk. I had the relationship, and, and, and I, heaven and earth were together. God would be there. I mean, it was all together. That's what God intended. No sin, no shame. That's what, he has not given up on that original intention and that original design. He's not given up on it. And Isaiah prophesies of that new heaven, that new earth. He prophesies about seeing it. Even Isaiah did. Isaiah 65, 17. Look at what it says. He says, look, I am creating. God said this. Look, I am creating a new what? A new heavens and a new earth. Watch. And no one will even think about the old ones anymore. I want you to underline that in your scripture. That you won't even think. Everything else will pale in light. You won't even think of that stuff anymore. Be glad. Rejoice forevermore, my creation. Why? Because God is getting ready to restore and redeem what he intended. How many thank God that he redeemed you and me? How many thank God he died on the cross, shed his blood so that you and I could be new creations in Jesus Christ? Brand new creations. We still struggle with temptation. We still struggle with things on this earth, our attitudes, our emotions, our thought life. But he has redeemed your spirit and new creation in Jesus Christ. Brand new because of the blood of Jesus. He redeemed us. Now listen closely to this. <clears throat> Just as God promised to redeem us and to make us new creations in Christ, God wants to do the same 
with the earth and the heavens to bring it to what he originally intended. See, I think sometimes we just think that now God, there are things that when you see the word destroy that God wipes away. But I'm going to tell you, his original intent is to redeem it. See, sometimes we forget the R-E words in the scripture. Just remember, just remember R-E words in the Bible, okay? R-E phrases, things like redeem, reconcile, regenerate. Come on, words like redemption. What does that mean? It means to buy back from the former owner who held you in slavery. I mean, thank God for his redemption to Jesus Christ. Think of, thought, think of the words like resurrection, R-E words, resurrection. What does it mean? To bring back to life after physical death. To bring back to life after physical death. Resurrection. Think of words like restore. Oh, Jim Artem, I don't know if he's in here, but I love when that guy restores a, a, a car, especially a Bronco. He takes his old dusted rust bucket sitting out in a farmer's barn. It's all tore up, rats eating it up. And buddy, he'll take that and restore it back to its original intent, even better than what it was. This is what got all these words. See, now listen. God does not want to give up on his original intention. Here's what could have happened. Adam and Eve blew it for us. Don't say amen because you've done it more than they have. After they sinned, what God could have done, God could have consigned Adam and Eve to hell and started all over. Couldn't he? He could have. He could have made new Adam and Eve and say, let's start, let's wipe the slate clean, let me, give it a, let me get a new one. Let me get a better one. But he didn't. He didn't. Because God is in the business of redeeming, restoring, reconciling, regenerating. That's what he does. He chose to redeem us. He could have wiped them out and say, just start all over. No, he chose to redeem and reconcile the relationship back to God where there is no sin in between them. He could have done that, but he didn't do it. He chose to redeem. Now, he said, I'm just not redeeming mankind and restoring mankind, putting them a glorified body at the very end. If you weren't here last week, you got to hear that part with the glorified. There's a difference between a heavenly body and a glorified body. There seems to be a difference. What God did then means he didn't only just restore mankind. His heart is to restore the heavens and the earth. And he has not given up on the... If he would given up on humanity, if he had given up and done that and said, I'm just going to wipe it out and just start all over, wipe it out and start... No, no, no. If he had done that, then Satan wins. Satan wins. How many know Satan is lost? He's always lost. He's still losing. He is lost in the end. The guy just doesn't understand when to give up. God says, I'm going to redeem it back to what I intended in my design. Why would he restore the heavens and the earth? Why? Because his original plan would be fulfilled. I want to be with them. Nothing in between us. And I want to restore the heavens and the earth. Could you imagine what happens when God restores the heavens? <laughs> we don't get snowed in anymore. Can you imagine when God restores the cosmos? You don't have to sit there and every time you see an online feed, asteroid headed to Earth, you don't sit there laying awake in bed at night thinking you're the one that's going to get the rock between your head while you're laying in bed at night. No planets colliding. 
You're worried about solar flares. Now I'm worried about solar flares because all of a sudden it's going to shut down all the earth. No, no more worried about solar flares. No more worried about planets colliding. No more storms. No more weather systems that are sitting there destroying us. No more asteroids. None of that. All of a sudden, everything perfect in its place, redeemed, restored, the whole cosmos gets totally restored and redeemed. A brand new earth, a brand new heaven, it is redeemed. Wow. Wow. All right, Pastor, what else gets redeemed? What else gets redeemed? Ready for this? Everything. <laughs> everything of his original intent, everything. Everybody say everything. If you get your eyes on heaven, you wouldn't stress out so much about this. Your body, uh, don't worry. Glorified, redeemed. Everything. Now go with me to something that Paul wrote through the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. And just stay with me because these are very important words, okay? And I may have you respond back to me, okay? And I want you to stay awake. I know you'll wake up when we get to the sex part, but I want you to wake up now. Look at him over here acting like I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 19. It says, for a double L, what? All creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all what? Creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children, not just us. All creation, everything in it, to be redeemed, will join God's children in glorious freedom from all the death and decay. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to rake leaves anymore. I just get to watch the trees turn colors and not decay. I'm having to drop four grand to get a tree removed because it's dying. I'm not upset. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. For it says, for we know that A double L, say it with me. All creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What do you think's happening in the Middle East? It's groaning. What do you think with the weather patterns and the, and the weather patterns in the earth? It's groaning. What's happening in weather? It's groaning. What about racial divide? It's groaning. It's longing for what's in the heart that God said would be there. Mm, 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 mm. Get ready, folks. It gets better for us. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. What does that mean? The reason I can endure the pain and the groaning is because he didn't leave me lonely. He didn't separate from me. He kept his Holy Spirit inside of you that you can endure the groaning that you're in right now. That's why you got to pray in the Holy Spirit. Get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Start praying in the language of tongues and groan in the Spirit of God. Woo, glory to God, man, I'm just, woo. tell you what, I need to keep, I need to bring the checkbook or write myself a check. This is so good. 
Or... <sighs> Cash at me, Brenda, right now. Cash at me right now. <laughs> for we long for our bodies to be released. We long for our bodies to release from sin and suffering. Some of you are going to, through it. Some of you are watching people go through it right now. You're watching that suffering, but we long for our bodies to be released from this sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us all our full rights as he, as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. <sighs> when I get there, Brenda, I really can say to you, all that, you get to get all that right there. We'll have glorified bodies. Do you realize it? Do you know the people in present heaven in their heavenly lives are groaning because they see Jesus Christ right now with that glorified body? They know Jesus had a glorified body. Guess what? You get a glorified body. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Look what Paul said. He said, just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the, what heavenly man? The glorified body of Jesus Christ. Look, just look, 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 that glorified body even came, he was even on planet earth after he was resurrected, folks. Over 500 people saw him. Resurrected dead man. 500 people saw him. We had the accounts of it. They saw him. Glorified body. He'd say, put your finger in my side. Glorified body. Think about this for a moment. So even during that time, Jesus' resurrected body, John chapter 20, verse 19, Jesus, they saw Jesus' resurrected body, and the disciples were behind locked doors, and suddenly Jesus appeared. We have him suddenly appearing in the, in the middle of them. Then you look in Luke 24, 31, he's on the road to Emmaus with these two disciples, two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't even recognize him because the glorified body must have looked different. They didn't even recognize him. And finally, their eyes were opened up, and when he's done talking to them, it says he suddenly disappeared right there in front of those two disciples. And then we have Acts 1.19. This is his glorified body, where they're watching, and the angels tell him, why, why are you gazing up into heaven? You men in Galilee, why are you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which has been taken up, will return one day in like manner. Why are you gazing? Well, I'll tell you why they're gazing. We've never seen anybody fly. We've never seen this. We have never seen this. Why are, we, why are you gazing? Never seen it. So obviously his glorified body had the ability to transcend the laws of physics, appear and disappear. What does that mean? Could it be, folks, could it be that our glorified bodies will have the ability to think it and be there? Brenda, I'm going to Mars today. Are you seeing this? You've got to think about this for a moment. His body does all of this stuff. Your glorified body will never get weary, never get tired, never die, no sickness, and may even do some things that are flat bizarre that transcends the present laws of physics. What gets redeemed? Everything. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, Psalm 102, verse 25, 26, go read it. What you will find, though, 
with this present earth is God's judgment will destroy the idolatrous misuse or the perversion of his good gifts. He will, he, that will be destroyed because of its idolatrous misuse of those things, his good gifts. And in his, crea- and in his recreation, he'll restore these things as good and useful for his holy glory. He will destroy it but recreate it and restore it, redeem it for the glory that he intended. So what does that mean? You see all the nations fighting and feuding. You see races against races. All of that stuff, folks, goes away. Revelation 21, 24 says that he redeems all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So that means when you have every tribe, tongue, and nation, that means that everybody still seems to have their identity tribes and nations. What does that mean? That means that there are cultures within their cultures that I'm not aware of or languages that I may even be able to understand and never been taught the language that I know exactly what they're saying, that I know when they're praising God. I know when we're having communion. I know when we're laughing together. We know it. Something's happening here. So that means the best of their cultures are now brought in to glorify God. That's why every tribe and tongue, that's why race is sacred, because race is what God created. He's going to restore it and redeem it, that every tribe, every tongue, so that means every part of that culture, that means all of their music, all of their history that is good, all of their culture, all those things get redeemed. That means we like sports, right? Sports gets redeemed. Think about it. See, you're limited. Music, every kind of music gets redeemed for its right purpose, its intent purpose that brings glory to God. Everything gets redeemed. All of it gets history, art, music, sports, language. Folks, we are limited because every culture has those things in it. And now God's expression of those things comes to us from all over the world, every tribe, every tongue, revealing the glory of God. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when God redeems what you are? Some of you hadn't been past Door, Michigan. You're going to discover all the beauty of every tribe and tongue around the world and every history culture that they have out of it that God said, this is the way I intended it to be glorified. Some people hijack those things, pervert those things because that's what God wanted to use. That's why Satan perverts it because he knows the glory is supposed to come. So I'll come in and pervert what God has. I'll bring the real glory. Isn't that exciting? Some of you are wondering, well, well, I have to go to work. Friends, he's going to redeem your work. What you don't understand is work is a blessing. Work is a blessing. Work is a blessing. It's an attribute of God. How do we know that? Because when you open up the Bible, when you first open up the very first scripture in the Holy Scriptures, what are you first saying? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What was God doing the first moment? He wasn't singing. He was working. Working. Work is one of his manifestations of his glory, but work gets perverted. Look what God said in Genesis 2.15. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To do what? Work it. And then do what? Take care of it. Steward it. Steward it. This is before sin ever came. Work was there before sin came. So work is not a sin. Work is not the curse. You know what the curse is? The difficulties that came into work as a result of disobeying God. By the sweat of your brow you will toil. Thorns and thistles will come into it. So work that was once meant to glorify God is now becomes a struggle. We don't want to go to work. We don't like it. My body's aching. I can't do it. He says, once you get redeemed, your work and the things you desire are going to be so glorified, they come out of you. You need no rest, 
Nothing's inhibiting. Your mind is free. Guess what's happening? The greatest glory of God is going to come out of the gifts that he's placed in your life. Wow. I remember sitting when I was talking with Sarah in the hospital when they told her she was going to have to go into hospice. And I was trying to describe to her what's coming. And I said, Sarah, you're going to learn things there because you don't stop learning. The education continues. Your mind will be fully more aware than any of us here on planet Earth. But I said, Sarah, you don't, you, you, what you think you're going to lose here, you don't stop working when you get there. Your greatest work was to worship God. I said, now there is nothing inhibiting you. Your mind will think. Chords will come to your mind that will be heavenly. Lyrics will come that will come directly from God himself. Nothing will restrict you. Your abilities with your voice. You thought you were great here. Wait till you hear your voice there. You think she was good here. You ought to hear what she sounds like now. Are you understanding this? Do you understand this? Those of you that love to organize, those of you that love to garden, those of you who like to decorate, I'm telling you, all of those gifts, those are from God, and there will be no restriction on you. You will flourish. You will grow. Do you understand this? Everything gets redeemed. And guess what's happening? You're seeing people trying to do it, but you cannot do it without him. That's why Ecclesiastes chapter 3.11, I don't have it in the scripture, you need to go in the, in the notes, go write it down. Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. This is why you got people trying to save the planet. I want to steward it, I don't want to trash it, but that's the reason why they want the planet to never die. Why? Do you know why? Because it's planted in their heart for a place that only he can do that. That's why it's happening. You know why? You, you, maybe the reason that man wanted to fly, I should be doing that. Orville and Wilbur Wright thought, I should be doing that. Because God has planted eternity in the heart of what it should be like. Why do you think you're extending your life? Why do you think you're sucking down that big old batch of kale and eating all that seaweed and you're... And you're, and you're and everything's got to be organic because you want to extend your life because in your body, eternity in your heart was that you were never to separate. You were never meant to die. You were meant to live forever. The reason why people are doing that is because God has planted it in their heart. Even if they deny God, resist God, eternity is planted in their heart and they're longing for what God is the only one has the ability to bring. Mm. Woo! Come on, everybody. Help me out a little bit. I think I'm going to save sex till the last so y'all stay with me the whole way here. Some of you wonder, will my pet be in heaven? Will my pet be in heaven? People are wondering, Pastor, my pet going to be in heaven? Well, let me ask you, how many love your pets? And how many hate your pet? All right, that's the one that ain't going to make it. I'm telling you folks, our, our, my, my ability to explain this or any, any writer cannot get this done right. If you would start getting your mind on this, the hell you're going through will pale in the light of it. Amen. And that Amen. groaning you're going through, the Holy Spirit will help you because it's waiting for that. Will my pet go to heaven? Well, what did Romans 8 say? How many times does it say it? All creation is waiting just like it's waiting for you and me. 
All creation is. I believe animals be there. I really do. But God will remake them, the animals, as they were intended to be. Now, I'm not sure what moles are going to be. <laughs> that one I got to see. I hate them. God forgive me, but I hate them. Mosquitoes, I don't know what they're going to do up there. I have no idea. But everything will be remade to what he intended. Now, you got to understand, your pet has no soul. Animals have no soul. So there's no need for the redemption of the blood of Jesus. But you will see where God has used animals. You even read in Revelation animals. He came riding on a white horse, and on his vesture and on his side was a name written above every name. King of kings, Lord of lords. The lion and the lamb. Well, let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied the new earth. And he talked about animals. Isaiah 11, verse 6. Look at this. In that day, the wolf and the lamb, here he goes. Wolf and lamb will lie together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. <laughs> Not on National Geographic, it doesn't. <laughs> and the little child will lead them all. So these kids have pets. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. Look at that. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. You won't even let your kid near an outlet. You got so many locks and padlocks on every cabinet. Thank God. But they're going to play with cobras. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest, just probably playing with it, of deadly snakes without harm. If God is going to remake all those animals and make them part of the new earth, just as they were with the original, he named all the animals. Why wouldn't he do the same for a pet that he used to help show you affection and even help you through tough times? Moses has helped us. I mean, he's just a dog. Sarah told us, she said, Dad, here's two, th Mom, Dad, he said, there's two things I want you to promise me when she was in hospice. She said, don't leave the church. Please don't leave the church. Because she knew how tough it would be. Don't leave the church. And don't give Moses away. <laughs> and we've kept our promise on both of those. One reluctantly, and it's not you. <laughs> Moses will be there. Y'all getting anything out of this? Yes. All right. So your pets, I think, are going to be safe. The ones you hate? Ah, not sure. Pastor, will there be sex in heaven? <laughs> I better stay over here. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor, give me a real older crowd I can go to. Pastor. <laughs> Now, let me just say on the outset of this, boy, everybody's, everybody's awake. Hey, you online, you want to know if there's going to be sex in heaven? Come on, listen to Pastor Sam Rafkogel, amen. <laughs> you know, I just love saying that word, you know, sex. I just love sex, 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 go this way. Now, I will tell you that there is not like this black and white definitive answer in scripture, okay? All right, okay. But I think there's a pretty good indicator here. 
as it relates to the redeemed being in the new heaven and the new earth, okay, in heaven. Do you remember the time when the Sadducees tried to trap Jesus because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead? You remember that? They didn't believe in it. And that's why they're called Sadducees, because they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in resurrection. And Pharisees won't be there because they're not fair, you see. Just a little bit of children's church for you today. Amen. So you remember how they tried to trap Jesus Christ? Said, now, wait a minute, because this was, this, was, this was law among them, that when a woman was married to a man, in order to carry on the lineage, that Jewish lineage, because Messiah might come out of that, what would happen is, is that, uh, okay, if her husband dies, then she should marry his brother. Well, what if she, that brother, next brother dies, and then, then the next brother dies, and she keeps remarrying all these men in this family, and there's seven of them. Okay, so who's, whose wife is she going to be when she gets to heaven? And they tried to trap Jesus. So let's look what Jesus said, Matthew twenty-two thirty: For when the dead rise, it's the resurrection of the dead, the glorified body, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, in this respect, they will be like angels in heaven. That means angelic abilities. It doesn't mean we turn into all angels. It means they'll be like the angels, have supernatural abilities. Now, this doesn't mean that angels are genderless. That does not, does not mean that. There's no scriptural support when people say, well, angels are genderless. There's no scriptural support for that anywhere in the scripture. But like the Garden of Eden, just like it, we will still have our identities as male and female, Listen to this, you will know who your husband and who your wife was. You will know. There'll be relations, will have no hindrance to all the broken relationships of the redeemed. That means even our horrible attitudes, everything gets redeemed, folks. Even dysfunction in your current family, for those who follow you, that all gets redeemed. All right? How many, I'd say amen just for the dysfunction in family, amen? You got some people that are born again and saved, but you're going, eh, I'm not sure about that one. I don't know. How that got in the gene pool. You know that. But it gets all redeemed. Now, the real question shouldn't be, is there sex in heaven? The real question should be, what was marriage and sex in marriage pointing to? Because here's the deal. Marriage and sex in marriage, marriage and sex in marriage points to something ultimate. Remember that. Even Paul was trying to describe to these people raised in a Roman Greek empire who are using women as doormats, and now he's teaching this new concept. He's, he's teaching what God's original concept of how men and women, husbands and wives, should interact. And he says it's a mystery. Look at this, Ephesians 5.32. It's a great mystery, but this marriage relationship and even the sexual intimacy in the marriage relationship is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So you see all these references throughout Scripture, and you see it especially in Revelation, of Christ being the groom, and guess what? The church is the bride. He's the ultimate groom. We're the ultimate bride. So Jesus says in heaven there'll be no marriage or giving in marriage, because marriage and even your sex life in your marriage is pointing to something that will absolutely transcend it. Uh, Pastor, the late Pastor Tim Keller went to be the Lord this past year. Uh, 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 he says something that's so powerful. I'm going to read this to you. He says, the Bible says, the Bible says human marriage is therefore, look at, listen to this, penultimate. 
That means it's next to the last, something great. It's next to the last. It's penultimate. There's something greater coming. It points to the ultimate marriage, even the most wonderful, rapturous episode of marital love is just a dim hint of the ecstasy and the cosmic joy of falling into the, arm, into the Lord's arms. Because that's what you were created for. Human love is just a pointer to that. Human love is penultimate. That's the ultimate marriage. Now, if you don't see human marriage and sex in human marriage pointing to the ultimate, and you don't see it as penultimate, you will not be happy as a single person, you will not live as a single person well, and you definitely will not enjoy the current marriage you're in. Let me say it again. If you don't see sex in marriage and marriage as penultimate, next to the last of pointing to the greater, you will never be happy with the person, current person you're with, and you will never be happy on your own. In fact, I didn't get married to make me happier, make me happy. Marriage just made me happier than I already was. And that's what I'm figure, that's what we got to figure out, is that it's not the ultimate. See, if as a single, when you understand it's penultimate, young people listen to me on this. If you can understand it's penultimate, then you can live being a single well with its highest purpose. Let me tell you why. Because you know the ultimate is still coming for me. The ultimate groom, the ultimate spouse, with the ultimate, ultimate love, with the ultimate purpose, with the ultimate care, with the ultimate provision, the ultimate unconditional love, that one will never end. His name is Jesus Christ. Now there's something ultimate coming. I don't know what it is, but it's coming. If you can understand that, then you will live your single life healthy and you will handle sex and your sexuality healthy when you know that the ultimate is coming. That's the one I'm waiting for. If you don't, then you will sleep with any person. You will give up your sexuality. Everybody will have to make you somebody important by, by the sexual expression. Because you're longing for the ultimate. And that's what you're filling it with. Okay? So, if you don't see marriage and sex and marriage as penultimate, if you don't see it that way, then your current marriage will not make you happy. And let me tell you why some people in their current marriage aren't happy. It's because you are imposing on that person, that spouse, to be something that the ultimate can be, and you're searching for it, and you're wanting it, and you will never get it until you have the ultimate, and that's Jesus Christ the Lord. And you are crushing your husband to live up to this standard. You are crushing your wife to live up to this because you are trying to fill this hunger for this ultimate, and they never will. It's crushing them. It's 11.30, y'all still here on this sex deal. I appreciate it. <laughs> he is the ultimate. My marriage and my sex life in my marriage is the next to the last greatest ultimate. And I don't know what it is, but I'm going to tell you, just like I read earlier in Isaiah, you will not even look back to it as anything else simply because what I have now so transcends this, and I don't know what it is, folks, but it's there. Amen. You never want to go back. Let, let me put it to you another way. If you, the Old Testament, what do they do to, what do they do to have a relationship with God? They had to go into the temple, 
They had to build this temple. They had to go in once a year. The priests are going, then they got to get all your animals. You got to get your best animal. And then we got to go slit the animal's throat. Then we got to go put blood everywhere. Then we got to ratify and sprinkle the blood on the book. And then we got to ratify the book. And then when they slit the animal's throat, then we go put him on sacrifice and we go have a big barbecue and let the smoke go up before God. What was that? That was only a, a penultimate to the ultimate. It was pointing to that there's coming one where you will no longer have to go into a temple and you will no longer have to shed the blood of animals and you will no longer have to come on bended blood and knees and you'd only come once a year. But now there is one Jesus Christ who paid the price on the cross that takes away your sins once and for all and you don't ever want to go back to that old place because this one is so far superior that I don't even want to go back to that. It makes, I don't ever want to go, I, I, do you want to go back and slaughter animals? You want to go burn stuff up? I don't even want to go back. Why? Because that was the penultimate to the ultimate Jesus Christ sacrifice. Friends, I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, the way you perceive sex now and what it is for ecstasy is only a penultimate. That fades. There's something greater because now it is he is the bride. We are the groom. We still know what our relationship was but there's no longer marriage or giving in marriage because he is the groom and there's something so ultimate we have never known it yet or only that day. Woo! How we doing, everybody? All right, come on. I know it's, uh, I'm gonna give you a couple more, Okay. All right, because I'm going to bring this in for a landing, but a couple more. All right, you say, Pastor, I see John talk about the new Jerusalem. I see there's a lot of trouble in Jerusalem right now. I see Hamas attacking Israel. What's all this going? What's going on? What's this new Jerusalem thing? Isaiah spoke of the future glory of Jerusalem, which is the new Jerusalem. Look, Isaiah 61, this is the prophecy he had. Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see. The glory of the Lord will rise to shine on you. Watch this. This is talking about the new heaven and the new earth. You ready? It says, <clears throat> All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see. That means nations are restored. Nations are restored. They're redeemed. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands, and your little daughters will be carried home. He's showing this. They're coming to this place, this new Jerusalem. John said in Revelation 21, when he saw it, he said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be, be his people. God himself will be coming with him. He says it's coming down. What does that mean? That means that he saw it, that it's already existing now. The new Jerusalem is already in existence, everybody, and it's coming down. It's a perfect place, holy, where God's people, you and I, will live in. The redeemed will live in there with him. Kings and nations will come and go, but we will live and dwell in that place, the redeemed of the Lord. From every tribe, every tongue. Think about this. It's going to be perfect holiness. It'll be the capital city of heaven where the redeemed will live with Christ. Now, you hear a lot on the news about what's happening in Palestine. You hear a lot, but I'm going to tell you, this has always been going on. And let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you ultimately what's going on. Ultimately, when you get it all done, nobody wants to say this, but this is the truth. This is a spiritual battle 
of Satan blaspheming God, his people, and his dwelling. Look, before the land, before the Canaanites, the Canaanites were the first ones there. Before they lived there, guess who owned the land? Guess whose land it is? It's God's land. Do you understand? It is God's land, period. It's not even Israel's land. It's God's land. And somehow God, in his plan, chose Israel. But he said, this is where I will ultimately put my new Jerusalem. Ever since that, Satan has fought and blasphemed the place where God and the redeemed from all over the world will dwell. That's the reason why there's a fight for it not to exist, for it not to be there, because it is the very place where God himself will come down and put the new Jerusalem. That is what the fight is about. It is literally Satan stirring up people across the world to destroy the very place where God will dwell with his people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that are redeemed by him. That is why Satan is trying to put it in God's face. That's what this is. And we're all going to live there. Let me tell you, it's bigger than Grand Rapids, I'll tell you that. You say, well, pastor, it's my final one. <laughs> Will there be enough room for all of us? I mean, come on. People have been on the planet for a long time, and a lot of people have have believed in the Lord God and followed him. Is there going to be room for all of us? I like what Revelation 21.15 says. The angel began to show John, and he said, the angel who talked to me held, out, held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, its walls. So he's seen it. I mean, he's seen it. He says, when he measured it, I found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, the length and the width and the height were each 1,400 miles, a perfect square, 1,400 miles. The walls were made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. That's how pure it is. Folks, the walls were made of jasper. Do you know what that means? If they're 216 feet thick, that means that's 401,850 cubics, cubic miles of nothing but jasper. Now, you say, is there going to be enough room there? Someone did calculations on the New Jerusalem, just alone, the New Jerusalem where the redeemed will dwell. Just that. And let me show what they came up. First of all, just put it in perspective. The ground level of the New Jerusalem is an area from Wichita, Kansas, the middle of the United States, all the way to the Pacific. And it goes clear from the border of Canada all to the way to the border of Mexico. There's two million miles of ground space alone, okay? So listen to these calculations. If the city were laid out into blocks 500 foot square, and if its streets were 100 feet wide, there would be 15,840 blocks and streets to each side of the city. This would add up to 250,905,600 ground level blocks in the city. If each residence were 100 by 200 feet, like the place we live, so how many could put up with a 20,000 square foot home? You stay in your shack, I'll take yours. Ready for this? There would be 12 residents in each blocks, residences in each blocks. This would total, oh my goodness, 3 billion. 10,876,200 residences on the ground level alone. 
allowing 20 feet for each story of the city, allowing for each 20 feet for each story, the city would be 396,000 stories high. Empire State Building is 103 stories. The top, of the, the top story would reach up 1,400 miles, which is as high as astronauts ever go orbiting the Earth. Multiply the number of residents on residencies residences on the ground floor by the total number of stories in the height, which gives a total of, you ready for this? One quadrillion, 192 trillion, 303 billion, 411 million, 200,000 residences. If you put 10 people, 10 people to each residence, that's 20,000 square feet. Y'all think you could handle 2,000 square feet, just one person? I know some of you kids can't even handle 250 square feet of your bedroom keeping it clean, but just think of it for a minute. If you took all those residents over qua- oh, residences, homes over a quadrillion, 10 people per, re- per residence, it would be over 11 quadrillion people in the new Jerusalem alone. And that's why you hear John when he sees it. In Revelation 7, 9, he says, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting, they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. They will be shouting that, everybody. Every tribe, every tongue. In this church, we have representation of different nations of the world, different cultures of the world, different languages, different tribes and tongues. We got it all here at Grand Rapids First. So I want every tribe, tongue, and every Jesus follower to stand to your feet just for a moment. Oh, my, 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 my. Everybody stand up. I want you to look around just for a moment. We wouldn't even make a city block, all these people in this church right now. We wouldn't even make a city block. I mean, there's, there's so much room. But here's what it says. And all of those people were shouting, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. 